This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 195. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Election day is almost here. And you damn well know that means this is a time to stay vigilant. That's disturbing video from January 6th of an insurrectionist calling for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, prowling the halls of the Capitol, looking to capture and kill the person that is third in line to the presidency, third in line to the commander-in-chief. Since January 6th happened almost two years ago, I've been warning about the danger of violent domestic extremism. Since it happened almost two years ago, I've been warning that January 6th is not over. It was just the culmination of a movement sparked and fueled by Donald Trump, his minions, a longing for authoritarianism, and by hate. Since it happened almost two years ago, the FBI has been looking for attackers, some of which are still at large right now. Since it happened almost two years ago, I've been calling it what it is the American insurgency. An insurgency is a violent revolt against an authority. And that's what this is. An extremist, violent, domestic movement of MAGAists or Trumpists that are focused on overthrowing our government. Since it happened almost two years ago, it's not over. It's still there, brewing, bubbling, growling, threatening, looming, waiting. Since it happened almost two years ago, many have ignored the warning signs. From vigilant voices on this show, like Scott McFarlane and Malcolm Nance, to many of you that have written in, to our own Defense Department that continues to rightfully call domestic terrorism our number one national security threat. Since it happened almost two years ago, some hoped, wished, and conspired to have you believe it's over. And last week, we saw how not over it really is. The Speaker of the House's husband was violently assaulted in their San Francisco home. A violent attacker broke into their house and hit Mr. Pelosi in the head with a hammer and had a plan to break the kneecaps of the Speaker of the House, the person that is third in line to the presidency. It was awful. And it showed us yet again the threat to our elected leaders is real and rising. There are so many more threats daily than the public fully appreciates to politicians of all sizes. The American insurgency 
is why the attack on Mr. Pelosi is not a one-off. It's a new normal. The threats and attacks on public officials will continue and increase. It's not a glitch. It's a movement. It's the American insurgency, and it's the number one national security threat in America, especially this election season. And there needs to be immediate, bipartisan, congressional action and presidential action, if possible, to reevaluate the security plans and protocols for all elected leaders and their families. The threat is real and rising. And it's not just to them. It's to all of us. The national response has to be immediate and comprehensive. Because it's so much bigger than politics. It's so much bigger than January 6th. The threat of violent domestic extremism is real. And it's rising. The American insurgency is a true national security threat. And like any threat to our national security, it's on all of us to do our part. Tone down the heat. Help the FBI. If you see something, say something. And stay vigilant. Especially this election day. Because stakes is high. Stakes are higher than in any other election in our lifetime. Yeah, they say that every time, but it's true. And we must stay vigilant because our enemies are celebrating. Every time an American attacks another American, Putin is celebrating. And he's not the only one. North Korea fired at least 10 missiles this week following threats over U.S.-South Korean military drills. North Korea fired 10 ballistic missiles, a new one-day record. And South Korea says at least one missile crossed the nautical border. There's also more news. White House National Security Spokesman John Kirby says North Korea is sending Russia, quote, a significant number of artillery shells for the war in Ukraine. Now, this should have been expected. A new axis of evil is forming between Russia, Iran, and North Korea. And it may only be a matter of time before China joins, too. 2023 is going to be fun, people. But you can be damn sure our enemies from Russia to North Korea to Iran continue to celebrate as Americans attack other Americans. And they continue to watch Election Day here in America specifically. And we need to stay vigilant in watching what's happening in North Korea, watching what's happening inside Russia, watching what's still happening inside Afghanistan and what's happening inside Iran. We need to stay vigilant in watching, sharing, and supporting the brave protesters inside Iran who long to be free and have their own election day that's fair and free, like the one we're about to have. We've got to stay vigilant everywhere. And that includes on social media, and specifically on Twitter. Where now that Elon Musk has taken over, the racist and hateful and provocative stuff has skyrocketed. The stupid is rising all over Twitter. Accounts are spreading stupidity and multiplying like some kind of social media Kanye gremlins doused in water. The levels of stupid on Twitter are rising faster than blood sugar levels in American households nationwide after all that damn Halloween candy. The stupid is everywhere. Oh, wow. 
The sickness of the stupid is spreading all over social media this election week, and it's not an accident. The weakening of oversight on Twitter is bigger than Twitter. It creates an opportunity for Russian and other bad actors to provoke, distract, and divide America. They want to make us eat our own. They want us to fight with each other, especially the week of Election Day. Don't let them. It's bigger than Twitter because it's a national security issue. For better or worse, Twitter is now a battleground in the information war worldwide. Our enemies want us to be threatening each other on Twitter and to take that anger and division off of Twitter and into the streets to further weaken and divide America. And like any other national security issue, we can do our part. Don't respond to provoking tweets, especially from suspicious, unverified accounts. Don't reply to them. Don't retweet them. Don't like them. Even blocking them validates and elevates them. Instead, report them, ignore them, counter them with good information and spreading light instead of heat. And don't feed the trolls. It only makes them grow. By blocking, you actually acknowledge that they've gotten your attention and that it warrants a public response. By taking the time to even respond, they've got you. They've taken a small bit of your time and your focus. It's like inaccurate harassing fire on the battlefield. You got to ignore it and Charlie Mike continue the mission. Because every time you take the bait, our enemies are celebrating. Whether you have 100 followers or 100,000. Russia has been hitting America and the West on Twitter and other social media platforms for years. We know that. They didn't just meddle in our elections. They attacked our elections. So don't take the bait this time. Don't let them win. Don't give our enemies more reason to celebrate. And stay vigilant. Because the great fragmenting continues all across social media and all across our politics. But it doesn't have to happen in our society. It doesn't have to happen to our civility. It doesn't have to happen to our communities. Yeah, the final election push is here. And America's divided. America's scared. America's angry. But independent Americans are in a unique position to make an impact. We will decide the election in so many races all across the country. And at least one of us, Evan McMullen in Utah, could be elected senator. America's on edge this election. But we, as independent Americans, can help bring them down off that edge. We can help them see over the edge. We can help them get around it. And we have the perfect guest in this episode to help us do it the guests that can bring us back to some kind of center, to calm us all down with sobering reality, with some history, with some perspective, and with some wisdom. Now, I'm more excited about this guest than almost anyone who's joined us in 194 episodes of this show. It's an exceptionally wise, insightful, and trusted leader that we all need to hear from right now. A person who understands history, and the historic nature of these times, and the perfect guest to take us into the most important election in our lifetime. There must be some way out of here, 
Say the joker to the thief There's too much confusion I can't get no relief He's the visionary mastermind behind some of the greatest stories of our country, of our people, of our culture, of our history, and of our future. The Civil War, baseball, jazz, the war, the national parks, America's best ideas, prohibition, the Roosevelts, the Vietnam War, country music, and now the U.S. and the Holocaust. A new six-and-a-half-hour documentary directed and produced by our guest and his longtime partners, Lynn Novak and Sarah Botstein. They describe this new project as a deep dive into America's response to one of the greatest humanitarian crises in history. It shows where we got it right. It shows where we got it wrong. And it shows where we could repeat history if we're not vigilant. He's a historian. He's a documentarian. He's a master storyteller. He's a patriot. He's our mirror. And he's a conscience for us all. I'm honored to have him as our guest in this episode. Mr. Ken Burns. All along the watchtower, princes kept the view. While all the women came and went, barefoot servants too. Now, on this show, we've had many guardians on the Watchtower. We've had professors of nukes, professors of war, professors of business, professors of politics. And now, we've got a professor of history and an expert on America. Ken Burns is a truly important, inspiring, and iconic American that's shaping what America has been, what it is, and what it will be. And this is a powerful conversation. That'll help you get smarter, predict better, and of course, stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And the most important election day in our lifetime is definitely a time to stay vigilant. Welcome to Election Week 2022. Welcome to gut check time for America. A time for us all to get up on that watchtower. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 195. Two riders were approaching, the wind began to howl. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, election season is here and we are in the middle of so many important issues colliding in America and around the world. 
And I am very happy, honored, and privileged to bring to you um, maybe the guest that I am most excited to have joining us in 195 episodes, a man I have been privileged to know, a man whose work I admire, the great and powerful Ken Burns is here with us on Independent Americans. Welcome, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. It's great to be with you. It's uh, it's so great to see you via Zoom. I think the last time I saw you in person was at one of the premieres for the Vietnam documentary. Right. So that's 2017. So we've got a lot of catching up to do. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, what is Halloween like for Ken Burns? What do you dress up as? How was your Halloween? And, and what was that week like for you? You know, I have four daughters, the youngest of whom is 12. The oldest is 40. So Halloween is beginning to recede. It's never been a favorite of mine, except when I was in college. I went to Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts in the early 70s. And we kind of invented Halloween. You know, we had it, at that point, Halloween was just kids going out and maybe some teenagers causing some some tricking. But we invented the whole party thing and made Halloween, I think, like the second biggest holiday on the thing. But I was actually working. I live in rural New Hampshire. You know, I didn't turn the lights off, but nobody stopped by. Um, our editing house is down off the town green. And if we had been working, we would have had uh, the lights on and, and bowls of candy out. But I was just, you know, up here in the loft of my barn uh, in my, you know, my COVID protection zone, uh, we're just working on the various seven films that we've got going. One of the one of the many connections you and I have is, is you've been very generous um, in, in sharing your connections and experience in Hampshire, especially last year when I was teaching down the street at Amherst. And I, I right. always remember Halloween at Hampshire was very special. There was a, a party they used to have called Trip or Treat which was a very uniquely Hampshire thing. Yes, it was. And and uh, I have one daughter that's applying to Hampshire. So we I, I don't want to talk anymore. I don't want to give her too many ideas in advance <laughs> of what happens. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, that the, the history of that area may may guide our conversation. I'm hoping we can talk about your latest work, about what you've got coming up, about this moment in America, um, the new PBS documentary that I think is, is a must watch for everybody in America and the world, your new book. But, but just to, to kick us off a little bit further, Ken, a question I do ask everybody, where are you in America and how are you? I'm in Walpole, New Hampshire, uh, where I have lived for the last 43 and a half years. I, I fled New York thinking that becoming a documentary filmmaker in American history was a vow of anonymity and poverty. I'm happy that they haven't turned out. But the great smart thing that I've done, probably the smartest thing I've done, was to stay here uh, and to work and give the kind of insulation these deep dives into history uh, require. I'm in a barn that I built in 2012 uh, that we use for screenings. And they're in place of horse stalls. We have bedrooms for visiting producers and advisors. And uh, in COVID, I left my office where I had several other co-workers just to thin things out and moved up here. And besides my kitchen table in the house, um, where I've slept for uh, 43 years and where my first two daughters uh, were born in my bedroom. Uh, I At my kitchen table, I do a lot of work and I do a lot of work here. We have Zoom editing sessions and mix even mixing sessions and a lot of stuff. I'm doing well. I had 
um, a very productive time. I, I know a lot of people went crazy. I still get in a lot of uh, work with uh, Chester, who is trying to be a polar bear on an iceberg, but a golden doodle that I've had for nearly eight years. And he and I do lots of walking out in nature, but I've been able to work and get a lot of done uh, films done. In fact, more films in a short period of time than any time in my professional life, which is sort of crazy to be 69 and, and, and being engaged in more stuff than ever before. But I, I love it. I love it. Well, you continue to be amazingly productive. It's no surprise that Chester looks tired. Just trying to keep up with you. We've already done five miles today. So. <laughs> for, for folks that uh, maybe haven't watched the show on YouTube, I recommend you check it out because you'll get a look inside of Ken's loft. You'll get to see Chester behind him. Um, Ken, we're, we're a week away from the election. Every election is framed as the most important election yeah. of, our, of our lifetime. Can, using your unique and powerful vantage point, can you zoom out and help us understand this moment? Yeah. Not just the election, but all of it coming together with global affairs, with extremism, with this election, with COVID, with the how do how do you frame up this moment we're experiencing now in American history? Well, let me be boringly uh, boringly redundant and say that this is the most important election uh, I think right now. I, I felt that you know two years ago and uh, at various other stages. You could say in 1864 when Lincoln was reelected, when it thought he wouldn't, that a country tired of war would elect his Democratic opponent, his former general, who he had fired, McClellan, and uh, turned out most of the. Uh, uh, you know, the U.S. Army voted for their commander in chief and not their ex-general who took good, pretty good care of them, but never engaged them and 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 sort of lost stuff. That was important. Lots of other really, really critical stuff. But but let me just tell you by way of what I've been doing in September, we released a film, a three part, six and a half hour series, miniseries called The U.S. and the Holocaust. It was scheduled for 2023, comfortably doing it. About a year and a half ago, I looked at my co-directors, Lynn Novick and Sarah Botstein. And by the way, you know, everything you like about our films are the people who work on it. If you don't like them, it's all my fault. Um, and I just said, we got to accelerate this. We have to be part of the conversation because everything that was going on then in the decades leading up to the 1930s, uh, you know, anti-immigration sentiment, uh, xenophobia, nativism, uh, racism, anti-Semitism had been on the rise. There'd been this flirtation with a pseudoscience called eugenics that believed that there is a hierarchy of races that people that, you know, very famous, very good people subscribe to, which is bunk. Um, people like Henry Ford and Charles Lindbergh were promoting at various times, unbelievably racist, anti-Semitic tropes. And um, the country therefore was not in a position to want to help the Jews trying to flee uh, Nazi terror as it developed over the 30s and then as it segued into what, what we now call the Holocaust. We knew it, what was going on. It's not like, oh, we liberated the concentration camps in 45 and then we discovered to our horror what was going on. We knew there were 3,000 articles in, uh, in 1933, the year that Hitler came to power in late January alone about discrimination against the Jews. And then it only got worse. But you know, the spirit of the people was steeped in anti-Semitism. The Congress had passed a, a hugely restrictive immigration law in the 1920s uh, that had quotas. Uh, they didn't mention Jews or Catholics, but they specifically had small quotas for those countries that had large Catholic or Jewish populations and big quotas for Northern European white 
Protestant, Hitler would say, Aryan nations. And so there's, you know, when we began the project in 2015, there were, of course, as every film we've made, lots of rhymes, as Mark Twain would say, with the present. By the time we were halfway through editing, every sentence was rhyming and not in the right way. And so we 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 wanted to get it out because we are at a critical moment. W- one of the characteristics of that period was a um, a movement toward authoritarianism. We're seeing it here. You know, the playbooks of people follow the authoritarian playbook. You you make an a them of somebody. You other people. Jews have had the longest experience of that because until 1948, there were people without a country uh, for a, a few, a couple of millennia, and that that has made them an easy scapegoat. We know clearly our own history of um, the extermination and the isolation into reservations of our native population, something Hitler admired. And he admired our Johnson Reed Immigration Act that limited restriction. And the Germans studied our Jim Crow laws to fashion their anti-Jewish discriminatory laws. So we're not responsible for the Holocaust, but it's a reckoning we have to have. And I think we people forget. And Jefferson warns us in the Declaration. He says, you know, that people are willing to suffer tyrannies while evils are sufferable, he writes. Meaning, look, guys, this new thing, democracy or a republic, is going to take effort, extra work. And what we find in a media culture like today with all the lying and the places where you can hide and self-select your news, th- th- there's a kind of laziness develops. And, and you know, as they used to say, now is the time for all good people to come to the aid of their country. We need to be fact-based. We need to understand what the truth is. We need to try to say that certain things like anti-Semitism, hanging banners from highway overpasses in Los Angeles, and Jacksonville, or, you know, hacking into, you know, jumbotrons in in Jacksonville with anti-Semitic tropes or having an ex-president promote some of those things are not right. That the violence that is the hallmark of authoritarian regimes, the way they scare you, is not right. The making of other... Look, I've, I've made films about the U.S. for almost 50 years. I've also made films about us, Paul. That's the lowercase two-letter plural pronoun. And I, I can tell you, it's a great privilege to do that. All of the intimacy of us and we and our, and all of the majesty, the complexity, the contradiction, and even the controversy of the United States. But what I've learned was that there's only us. There's no them. And when anyone tells you there's a them, you got to run away. It's like the people who are most afraid of immigrants don't have any contact with immigrants. And the people who are most in contact with immigrants wholly understand that they enrich us just the way many metals make a much stronger ally, uh, alloy. And if you want to go back to some singular thing, you have weakened what is great about the United States. So this is as as real and as important as it gets. And at the heart of it is not even all these separate issues and discriminations and stuff. It's just, what do you believe? One plus one equals two or something else? Because we are being told and lots of people are believing that, you know, one plus one is 14, you know, and, and they're living their lives in that the shadow of this disinformation, which is part and parcel of the beginning of the decline of any institution. And so the things we have counted on in the three great crises that that preceded this crisis now, the Civil War, the Great Depression, and World War II, that is to say, the free and fair elections, the peaceful transfer of power, the independence of the judiciary, 
are all up for grabs right now. So this is what makes this a critical moment. And, and nearly all of my films have addressed the complexity of the United States, the contradictions even, but still celebrated its exceptionalism. If you still want that exceptionalism, you want to be the greatest country on earth, you avoid the nativist, the anti-Semitic, the racist, the xenophobic uh, tropes that are now all around us and and helping to fuel uh, these completely ridiculous conspiracies. I heard that the last president said that Paul Pelosi's windows had been broken from the outside in. Right. As if, again, you could just throw the false flag thing into the midst and disrupt it. And if we're that susceptible, or the person who's purchased Twitter is is willing to suggest that there's an alternative fact having to do with male prostitutes. You know, we're in a big trouble if suddenly that isn't just shouted down. As in the in in, in the lead up to World War II, uh, uh, Charles Lindbergh, our great hero, second only in fame to the president, Franklin Roosevelt, crossed the line with anti-Semitic tropes in Des Moines one evening in giving an America first, America first. You can't make this stuff up. And and he, and finally, everybody said no more. Right. Uh, you know, the voice is Lindbergh's. The words are Hitler's is what people said. And, and uh, can he, he disappeared. This is why we needed to hear from you now to to frame all that up. But an, another constant theme of everything you do is national security and global security. Yeah. And, you know, those that that's something we've always focused on in this show. And I think is is kind of a piece of this that folks underestimate. So given your, your your deep understanding of national security threats, can you frame up this extremism we're seeing now versus extremism we've seen in the past? How how severe is this as a national security threat? So, right so it, it it's hugely important because it used to be the trope was that everybody's partisanship ended at the border. And then we short, sort of shared a vast middle of how we related to the rest of the world. You could argue in the case of Vietnam, we're not going to police here. We shouldn't be policing there. And 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 people, reasonable people can disagree. But now you have a situation where you have one of the most um, threatening entities in China, in both, you know, our, our business world, but in our national security. And you have people who are admiring the dictatorship of Xi in China. More importantly and more immediately is, of course, what's going on in Ukraine. And you have the speaker, the possible future speaker of the House saying, you know, this is not a slam dunk for supporting Ukraine. Now, what we have done is we have reunited the NATO alliance, which has had its own stresses and strains over the years. And, and the last president did his best to undermine it in support of dictators like uh, Putin and Viktor Orban, but in Hungary. And they have Italy has just switched to a far right uh, government. There's lots of stresses in Britain and in France and other places. Sweden just uh, had that. But we've been able to hold it together, understanding that by stopping the Russian aggression in this. And by the way, he is referring to Putin is referring to the Ukrainians as fascists, which is uh, unbelievably uh, Orwellian in its disinformation um, because, of course, they have a Jewish president and they've done magnificently. And we have been the one of the, the reasons they've done magnificently. And the great anxiety, I believe, not just in the United States, but in the world, is if we create another vacuum of leadership as we had between uh, 2017 and, and, and 2021, that we will um, lose the, the momentum that we've gained in so many places, the ability 
as we've always been able to do to muster a kind of democratic spirit of things. And if you're now having people throughout the country from dog catcher to president of the United States talking about, well, maybe it's democracy's not the way we're in big Big, big trouble. This, you know, Franklin said at the end of the Constitutional Convention, you know, when asked, what have you created? A monarchy or a republic? He said, a republic, if you can keep it. And 246 years, it's never really been, even during the Civil War, whether you could keep it, right? Because all of those institutions, like free and fair elections and peaceful transfer of power and independence of the judiciary, were just kind of, yeah. And there have been crimes and 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 people have been discriminated. African Americans have had a wholly different experience on this continent than anybody else, uh, even different slightly than the Native American people having been slaves, enslaved in a supposedly a free country. You know, mm-hmm. if you have an experience of being unfree in a free land, man, you have to improvise, you know, even more than Americans already improvise. So we've got a complicated moment right now that we have to address. And the stresses are from outside and from inside. And we I think we have to go back uh, to where we used to be, where a vast middle, whether it's Republican or Democrat, understood national security issues, understood domestic stuff, and could come together like the Civil Rights Act. A lot of Republicans voted for it when a lot of Southern Democrats did not. And that made that possible. And now you have ideologues appointed to the Supreme Court who are undoing the sort of fundamental improvements that were made to the flawed uh, nature of our republic. So, you know, we don't want to go backwards. Uh, Mm. And the idea that you could go backwards is regressive in every sense of that word. Ken, you've you covered so many things I wanted to get to over the course of this interview, and you're weaving it all together in a way that maybe only Ken Burtz can. And and I, I want to pull out one part of it. Uh, I want to come back to the to the division in America. This is independent Americans. I want to get your thoughts on the political dynamics and the opportunity for moderation and independence and unaffiliated. Before we get to that, I want to stay on Ukraine for a second because you're such a, you're the master storyteller. What is the story of Ukraine right now? Because for us, I think for me and for many other veterans, especially, it almost feels like Ukraine is more American than America is right now. Um, And and it's got this spirit that's galvanizing and motivating the world. But how would you describe the story of Ukraine right now? Yeah, I think that's it. It's a really good way to describe it, Paul. It's a, it's, you know, it's a David and Goliath. And we presume going into the battle, you know, we've somehow just in the last few years, I think it's because of the way the NFL has capitulated completely to the gambling industry that we, everything is an odds, right? So the odds of David versus Goliath or, you know, we're going to, we're going to not even take the points, you know, whatever that means. And, and here they are and they have, effectively, even before we started to come in, checked. I mean, you know, Putin really thought he'd be in Kiev uh, with Zelensky dead in 48 hours. Well, here we are. That was February. We're in November and that's not happened. Now, a lot of it is the muscle that we've been able to exert. But yes, the spirit of Ukraine, it's insistent on democracy. They have something to fight for and they're fighting for democracy. They're not fighting for some conspiracy theory that doesn't exist. They're not fighting for a lie. They're not fighting for that. And that's where a good deal of the energy of the United States has been dissipated in this kind of binary division between, you know, deniers or acceptors or whatever. There's there is a truth, you know, it was, as his own election guy said, the freest and fairest election of all time. And he lost by seven million votes. Mm. 
admitted, as we know from lots of evidence, that he knew he lost, but nonetheless has done what people have done throughout time. Human nature doesn't change. The Bible tells us this, you know, what has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. Uh, There's nothing new under the sun. That's Ecclesiastes. That's the Jewish part of the Bible, right? That's, you know, and let's remember Jesus Christ um, was and never left being a Jew, right? He didn't want to start a religion. People founded a religion for him, but he was a Jew. And so as we look at the anti-Semitism, which is part and parcel of um, the, you know, the easy, facile, uh, authoritarian uh, moves, um, you know, it's just not true. Human nature doesn't change. And these and these forces have to be def- defeated by the forces of light. And though they don't have any as Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and other brave folks, this is not a, anything having anything to do with party labels. There's nothing to do with Democrats or Republicans. Mm-hmm. It has to do with people who've read the Constitution and agree with it. Or really think that that all of that just to keep America white or pure or whatever the argument is. Um, you know, it's just, you know, in that, in, in that it's eugenics again, only it's just now named it. Mm. There's no hierarchy of races. There's only one race, Paul, and that's the human race. Mm-hmm. And everybody's the same. Somebody from Uganda loves her kids as much as somebody else. Somebody from another country is going to be, you know, a, a, a try to cheat and steal or embezzle. Another person's going to tell a lie. Another person's going to be virtuous. Another person's going to be self-sacrificing. there's no nationality or no race that has a majority claim on any virtue or any vice. Mm. Ken, we've, we've unpacked a lot of uh, conflict and war over almost 200 episodes on this show. We've had a lot of Vietnam veterans, Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. Wayne Smith was on this show who was a part of your brilliant Vietnam documentary. You mentioned Adam Kinzinger. I talked to folks, you know, in advance of this and said, I'm going to be talking to Ken Burns and about, you know, a huge percentage of our audience are post 9-11 veterans. Half of those veterans are, are independents. Um, and a question I get often is, can you ask Ken Burns, when is he going to do uh, a film about our war? So, yes. what, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan are still, you know, unresolved for many of us. And I know your, your Vietnam film brought kind of closure for many people mm-hmm. and helped them communicate what they couldn't communicate themselves. So what are your thoughts on, on something yeah, on, on the post 9 11? I'll do it. God willing, you know, I'm 69 years old. I'm not retiring, but you know, let me just say one thing is that the Vietnam thing, if I'd done it 10 years after the fall of Saigon in 85, America's in a recession. People are talking, Japan is ascendant. They're talking about the Pacific Rim. America's best days are behind it. Uh, Vietnam is a ball in a chain we're going to drag around until we don't exist anymore. Right? If I'd done 10 years, 20 years after the fall of Saigon in 95, we're the single sole superpower in the world. Uh, we're in the, lar- the midst of the largest to then peacetime expansion, economic expansion in the history of the United States. We have just won a first Gulf War with a coalition of, of dozens of states with one arm tied behind our back. If I'd waited 30 years until 2005, where we're bogged down in Afghanistan and Iraq because of 9-11, um, we would we would began to make parallels. So this is a lot like Vietnam. This is why it's not like this is what it is. Yeah. So by bringing it out a, a decade, 12 and then plus two years after that, you have the ability to to. Um, see things from the different peaks, the different perspectives. Right. And so we think that the past is fixed. 
it's unbelievable malleable because think of the film I'd make in 85 or 95 or 2005, but we didn't, right? It came out in 2017. And so it was able to average these things and not become susceptible to one view. So the passage of time gives you the perspective to, to more, you know, in astronomy is triangulation, right? You can find out the distance to a place more easily if you know several distances. So we triangulate. And so I would say, just give me some time to get a distance from it. And then I'd be able to look back and talk about your award. I can't wait. And and because I know you will be able to communicate what our generation has struggled to communicate for ourselves. And I know you'll channel our voices in doing that as only you can. We talked about this piece of the cleavage in America that exists in our politics. This is independent Americans. We talk a lot about the rise of those who want not just something moderate, but none of the above, who reject the two party duopoly. You have this amazing uh, perspective on the history of America. Can you talk about this political moment for those who feel politically homeless, for those who yeah. reject well, the Republican it, and Democratic Party? I know you've supported, you know, candidates in the past. You've been outspoken, but but we're, we're, historically, how do we see this opportunity for everyone else who feels politically homeless to rise up or unite or have an impact in the next few years? Yeah, that's a super important thing because, of course, how our political system has evolved is into a essentially a two party. It's not always been the case, but it's been for the most part, a two party thing or in essence, a a binary stuff, right? For or against. And we've been able to make decisions like that. But there is a sense for a growing number of people that neither party has represented them. One party has been more effective in, in, in harnessing that disaffection to energies that are malevolent. That is to say, that are not based in fact or truth. And so traditional uh, associations have ceased to exist. So you can see uh, a Liz Cheney and an Adam Kinzinger kind of exiled from the party of conservatism by a, a much more dominant radical thing, which is in no ways conservative, asking to save nothing except self-interest. And, and that's what's being sold. And quite often at the heart of this, as I've described, but not use the word, but I'm sure you have and 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 people that have that you're talking to, is the idea of grievance. When you feel unheard, it is you are so susceptible to having someone um, animate your grievance in which you say it's them that did that to me. You know, it's black people, affirmative action. It's, it's the border, you know, it's this, it's that it's, it's corrupt. Pop. And so what happens is, is you've got a, a huge disproportionate number of one party that believes that the other party isn't just wrong on something that they're evil, that they are pedophiles, that they are, sucking the blood out of young children. I mean, this is, you couldn't, if you told people that this is what happened. And by the way, that party filled apparently with these vampires, pedophile vampires, got 7 million more votes than the other party, which is says we're drowning and we're being locked out. So it is in the authoritarian playbook to do accuse your enemy of what you in fact are doing. Mm. And that's really important. And what happens is people with legitimate grievances who feel exiled from process, forget that there's only one, really one process in a democracy. It's singular. You vote and you vote, not your grievance. You vote the facts, 
right? People have been voting for in the last three or four decades against their self-interest in such startling numbers that you have to say, yes, I understand you're disaffected. Yes, I understand that makes you susceptible to the grievances and the blame that can be attributed to X party, that party or that party. But no, look and see what the real record is. And what happens is that grievance excuses a kind of laziness. If you want to know what's wrong, the grievance is only in the mirror. That's what our religious faith tells us. You need to look in your mirror. Like what's wrong with you has not been done by anybody else. It's there. And some people are better off than others. And that is a fault of a system that that skews towards people who are rich in both parties. And that's that's a huge problem. You know, and so now everybody's going to say, well, when we get back into power, we're going to eliminate the we're going to end the taxes. Well, the taxes have been lowered for the people who are have grievances. They've been raised for the people who can afford it. And, And and if you take it away from them, that same old discredited trickle down thing will again not work to bring prosperity. So you've got to be able to study the issues. And the problem is, is that grievance and conspiracy and misinformation and disinformation interposes itself between like that, between me and you. And what we have to do is, you know, this as, as, as I don't mean to go so biblical on you, but the scales from our eyes need to fall off, you know, um, you know, my ancestor, the poet Robert Burns said, oh, would some power the gift to give us to see ourselves as others see us. Mm-hmm. And we are now in a media state where everything we feel is fine. Every moment is to take a picture of me, not out in the world. Right. And so we've lost a little bit of our ability to come together as community. Let's just let me, let me just put the finer point on this by saying social media isn't. It's not social. You know what it's like to go into a room of adults or teenagers or whatever it is. And what are they all doing? They're all on their individual. That is not social. Right. I'm into community. I live in a tiny town where we see each other. We go to the <laughs> post office, we wave and, and, you know, maybe they are, they are opposite of my political beliefs, but that doesn't matter. We're still Americans. We still want our, the best for our kids, the same thing, but you know, we've become too fractured because of the, the way those grievances have been misused by people with only malevolent uh, intent. Ken, that is that is such a powerful um, uh, focus for folks to understand. The unpacking of grievance and the power of grievance is so important and urgent right now. Um, I know you've you've offered to stay around for a couple of quick fire questions for our Patreon members. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for them to them for helping make this happen. Stick around for that if you're if you're a part of that group. But a, a final question, Ken, before we wrap here, uh, I'm so glad you're the guy we're talking to before the election. So this will drop, you know, a, a week before the results. A week from now, um, half the country will be will have grievance because they will have lost or won. Um, do you have a message? Because you have a unique ability to reach people of all backgrounds. Do you have a message for America this election? Yeah, well, you know, there's the best words that are the person who understood who we were, our our our, uh, our defects as well as our our great exemplary aspects was Abraham Lincoln and his first inaugural. You know, he looks at this mostly Southern audience weeks away from a civil war. His own words can't these words can't stop. But he said, we must not be enemies. We must be friends, mm-hmm. though. Passion may have strained. It must not break break our bonds of affection. And then this poet president went on in this last sentence. The mystic 
mystic chords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the union as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature. Mystic chords of memory, better angels of our nature. And those chords are not ropes that bind us together. They're musical chords. It's a kind of harmony of working together. If you want to continue to play your single note, have at it. But you won't have that republic around to tell Benjamin Franklin, yes, we kept it. Ken, you are a a national treasure. You are a great American. You are a patriot in the best sense of the word. Um, You are so generous with your spirit and with your time and with your talent. Thank you for spending some time with us. I hope you will come back. And I hope that we can all remember your words throughout these next couple of months. Everyone should definitely check out the new book, Our America, and go watch the PBS series, The U.S. and the Holocaust. It's a must for every American and and everything you say and do is a must for all Americans. Thank you, my friend, for all you do. And thank you to your dog, which is somehow, which is somehow still asleep and resting. He's he's yet to disrupt something uh, in, in almost three years of, of, of being up here. Thank you, my friends. Great to see you. The great Ken Burns, ladies and gentlemen, what a treat, what an honor, what a gift. If you haven't already, go and watch his new incredible contribution, The U.S. and the Holocaust. Get his new book, Our America, How the Past Can Shape Our Understanding of the Present. And since it's World Series time, if you never have, go back and watch his incredible baseball series and his incredible jazz series and his incredible Vietnam series and his incredible Muhammad Ali film and the one we hope won't be as relevant as his series on extremism, his incredible Civil War series. He's a patriot, he's a leader, and he's definitely a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. We see it every day. Look for them. Look for them in America. Look for them around the world, especially this election day. And check for the hashtag. Look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. I want to see them. Share with me people who are stepping up in this election season to help others. I want to share them. I want to promote them. And I want to celebrate them. And while you're on social media, find us and play Guess the Guest every Wednesday night. Look for the hashtag Guess the Guest. And guess who our next guest will be? This was a tough one this week. Ken Burns is tough, but hopefully you all enjoyed this conversation. And if you did, be sure to go to independentamericans.us. If you've never been to the show website, you can watch video of me and Ken Burns. You can also find video of that conversation and every conversation we've had on YouTube. And if you see the video, you can see inside Ken Burns' house. You can see his couch. You can see his dog. Check it out at our website or on YouTube. And you can also see videos of media that I've been doing lately. I still do TV and radio and contribute as a national security and political analyst on some of the cable and news networks. So check them out. They're linked on the website. I've been doing a lot more with News Nation. Be sure to check them out. And I've been joining Marnie Hughes on her show about once a week to talk about Ukraine. She's great. And she's on in late mornings on News Nation. You can find it on your cable networks or online at News Nation. 
If you saw me last week, you also saw that Marnie and I talked about Ukraine. And at the end, we also had some fun talking a little junk about the big Sunday matchup between my Giants and her Seattle Seahawks. And Marty and I made a bet. I bet her the same thing that I bet Delfino Sanchez, a special package from New York's amazing Katz's Deli. And I asked her to put something up, and she countered. She said she had full confidence in her Seahawks, and she put up some of the Pacific Northwest best, some wild smoked salmon and an IPA from Elysian Brewing. Never heard of them before, but I checked them out, and they have some really good beers, including a special Chucky beer. They had a Chucky killer wit beer for Halloween. So I'm not going to get some of that, but I do want to give a shout out to Elysian Brewing in Seattle, Washington, and to my friend Marnie Hughes over at News Nation, because my Giants lost 27 to 13. It was a real stinker for us. Seattle is a very tough place to play, and my Giants did not come to play. But you can see my interview with Marnie on our webpage. Also, look for me on News Nation on election night. Yes, on election night Tuesday, I'm going to be on News Nation, probably in studio in Chicago with our previous guest and now a host on that network, Chris Cuomo. Also, another previous guest on this show, John Updike from Open Primaries will be on. We'll be talking about the role of independent Americans. We'll be calling the election. Maybe we'll be talking about some football. We'll take you through the election. Check us out on News Nation. Look for something different and look for me over there where I will continue to represent for independent Americans and break down some of the national security and veteran stories you may not be hearing about. But that's coming up on News Nation Tuesday night. Check us out. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening right now. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit the button. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you can. You can also support this show by becoming a member of our Patreon community. Big shout out to our Patreon members. I asked you all if you want to hear this show more often, and a lot of you sounded off. Thank you for that feedback. We're going to try to bring you shows more often. We're going to try to mix up the format a little bit. Grace Luteric chimed in and said she agrees with Mike Tipton. Three times a week would be appealing to me. I'm going to try to make it happen. We'll try to crank it up in the next couple of months, see if we can bring you more episodes, shorter episodes. In the meantime, we'll continue to deliver an hour of power every Thursday morning. But thanks to our newest patron, Darcy J. McKenzie who's an activist mom, a public school supporter out in Mendota Heights, Minnesota. Want to thank Darcy for joining our team. And speaking of teams, your Vikings are looking pretty damn good. And if you're a Patreon member like Darcy, like Grace, and like Mike, you're going to get extra content with Ken Burns. I had him stick around for a few minutes for our Patreon members, and I asked him, what was his first car? What was his favorite drink? He picks pancakes or waffles, and we even talk a bit about the world series that's for our patreon members only if you're not one become one and thanks for supporting the work you help us continue to bring you the five eyes and all our podcasts and everything we do if you don't know the five eyes are independence integrity information inspiration and impact no need for ranked choice voting there you can vote for all five and they're not on the ballot but if they were they would win in a landslide the righteous media team creative chris rosenthal brilliant bill schultz and precise Paula Hernandez. Also winning at the polls every day are, of course, my amazing wife and two boys. Now, Halloween was awesome. If you didn't hear our Halloween special episode last time, check it out. But Halloween was on a Monday, which means like four days of Halloween. We started on Friday and kept going all weekend long until Monday night. It was awesome. It was exhausting. It was really our first Halloween 
since COVID, which for my three-year-old was really special. But carrying them for their school Halloween party and after party was so freaking tiring. I mean, carrying them both on and off my back for two hours is like dad CrossFit. It's like a go-ruck challenge. And it's the hardest thing I've done physically since I had to carry them around Disneyland. And if you didn't see it on social, we went all out like we do every year. My older son, my seven-year-old, was The Flash. My little guy was Captain America. My wife pulled out a last-minute oldie and goodie from one of our four boxes of costumes. Yes, we've got four boxes of costumes. And she went as a fantastic lion. And I pulled out one from the days of video games past. I pulled out Master Chief from Halo. Now, if you don't remember... Halo was one of the biggest video games of the 90s and 2000s and the last couple of decades, really. It was a very popular costume among the 30- and 40-year-old guys that saw me. But Master Chief is a soldier of the future. He's the protagonist in the Halo multimedia video game franchise. Now, in the Halo world, Master Chief was raised to be a soldier and received every medal possible because of his key role in countless victories against the Covenant. Master Chief is, in fact, ultimately the one who brings an end to the human covenant war. He's a protector. He's a guardian. And that's what we all need to be this election day. We need to be protectors and guardians of our democracy, of our future, of the country we love, for our children and for our grandchildren and for the future. This election day is a time to be a guardian, to be a hero simply by voting. And you can go even further. If you can volunteer at a voting station, great. If you can help others vote, great. Help others get to the voting station. Maybe you can help a young person understand how voting works or help an older person get there if it's raining. And if you're in Nevada, vote yes on three. There's a ballot initiative in Nevada. And by voting yes on three, you can open Nevada's currently closed primary system. Question three, voting yes on three, will give every registered voter in Nevada the right to participate in primary elections. That means independent Americans like me and you can vote in the publicly funded primaries. We've talked about open primaries, and they're on the ballot in Nevada. So if you're in Nevada, vote yes on three. It's another way you can be a guardian. This election season, you can be a hero. You can be a guardian. Because especially in this election season, we're all in this together. And we're taking on real bad guys. And we're not just dressing up like heroes like last week. We're becoming them. We're supporting them. We're voting for them. And we're defending them. We're fighting the forces of ignorance and stupidity. And we might be outnumbered, but we can win. We can win against all the biggest threats. From the American insurgency, to Russia, to extremism, to the two-party duopoly, to apathy, to indifference, we can win. So stay vigilant, my friends, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant, and we're all in this together, especially this election day. From Paul Pelosi to Elon Musk, from The Flash to Captain America to Master Chief, from Bob Dylan to Jimi Hendrix, to Jeff Healy. From Ken Burns, to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening 
down with Putin. Slava Ukraini. Get out and vote and stay vigilant, America. Media.